We're going to do a little different version of the uh, New Testament reading today. Uh, I'm just going to tell the story. So uh, Jesus is teaching and preaching, and there are um, two groups of people in his audience. Um, One group are um, not affectionately known as the sinners and the tax collectors, and the other group are the Pharisees and the scribes. And um, just a little bit about both of those groups. Um, maybe we hear one thing when we hear sinners and tax collectors that might be different than what Jesus hears uh, might have felt and known in their cultural warehouse. Uh, tax collectors, the big no-no for tax collectors is that they were in alignment with the empire. They they worked for the oppressor. Um, and so they were they were other because of that, because of their um, their imperialism, because of their allegiance, at least half halfway allegiance to Caesar and to Rome. Uh, sinners, one way of understanding sinners that might be different than we would hear uh, is wealthy people who had very little connection to the poor, who lived independently. And they were sinners on the basis of their lack of connection to community, their lack of adherence to Israel's ethic for those at the margins. So this is this is the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, the other group is the Pharisees and the scribes. In our our Reformation tradition, we hear we hear Pharisees and scribes, and we hear people who are trying to earn their way to heaven and who are like very concerned about the letter of the law and they're legalistic. That is not the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day. Um, the Pharisees were highly respected. Uh, they were seen as holy people. They they never thought they were earning their way to heaven. Um, they knew they were in covenant with God and that they were saved by grace. <clears throat> they were concerned about the poor and the marginalized, which is why they had such trouble with the tax collectors and the sinners who were disconnected from the poor. And so Jesus got these two groups of people in front of him, and he decides to tell a story. And this is the story within the story. It's a story about a father and two brothers. His father has uh, two sons, um, and the younger one approaches the father and says, Hey, I, I want to cash out my inheritance. Uh, I, I would like my part of the estate. And so the father acquiesces, and uh, Hebrew law would say the father would have to give him uh, one-third of the estate. Uh, because the, he's not the firstborn. The firstborn receives two-thirds of the estate, uh, a double portion. So the father doesn't give his younger son uh, a third. He gives him half. He divides his estate in half and gives his younger son half of everything he has, which indicates maybe that um, he really likes this son. This son is favored. Uh, this is This is his... Uh, the son he enjoys of the two that he has. And so they take time to divide the property. I assume they're selling off 
property. I mean, they have a lot, that, you know, they, maybe they have this big ranch land and so they're having to sell off parcels of land to liquidate their assets so that this younger son can get his part of the in- inheritance. And when that happens and the son has all the wealth that he, um, that he, uh, is, is due as uh, a son of his father, he decides, um, to get out of there. He decides to to take off and to cut out and essentially to cut ties with his family. Now it's not sinful for him to do that. Uh, I mean it's uh, it's not cool. You know it's it, it's it, uh, it's rude. It fractures his family, uh, but it's not necessarily sinful for him to to ask for his inheritance. But it is. It's quite abrupt that he all of a sudden decides. Okay, I'm going to take all of this wealth that I have. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. I'm cutting ties. And he goes to this foreign land. Uh, and he, uh, in a matter of time, squanders all of this wealth. Uh, he gambles. He, um, he loses himself with sex workers and partying. Uh, uh, who knows? All of the ways that he just wastes all of this wealth that he has inherited. Uh, and it, it's poor timing for him in this foreign land because uh, two things happen. Number one, there's a severe famine there. And so the economy of this foreign land he's in shuts down right as he's, uh, you know, wasted everything. I wanted to say the, uh, the alternative version of peed away everything, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, right as he's wasted everything, the economy of this foreign land he's in shuts down. So resources are scarce, food is scarce. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is he's no longer in a culture of hospitality like the one he knew in his Jewish setting. Jewish setting had a very high value of strangers. Again, this is the, the Hebrew ethic. This is the Pharisees and scribes ethic. Uh, and he's suddenly in a place where no one will give him anything. And so he gets a job, a minimum wage gig. He becomes an employee, uh, an employee of some, uh, business owner there and he's sent out, uh, to the pigs, which is, you know, it's against his religion to, uh, to eat pork. And suddenly he is, uh, serving the pigs, taking care of the pigs. And he's wondering, man, I'm, I'm, I'm starving here. I, I'm, I'm running out of food, I, and I would almost be willing to eat the pods that these pigs are eating because I'm going to starve. So it creates a sense of desperation in him. And he begins to think, you know, what, what's my best strategy for survival? Uh, what, you know, my, my, my father's ranch, he treats his employees a lot better. Uh, than how I'm being treated here. I, I probably have a better shot of not starving to death if I go back and I beg my dad uh, just to let me work for him and and be a, a, a farmhand, a ranch hand. Um, and you know what? I'll, I mean, I I feel like I could I could get religious with him, and that would help. I'll say, God, you know, Father, I've sinned against you. Uh, and I've, I've sinned, uh, against God, and I, I've squandered everything, um, that I've had, and, and would you just, would you take me back and let me, let me be 
a worker. Let me be one of your employees. And so that's what he does. He sets out and he heads back to his home. And I imagine this big ranch land. And I, I'm, I'm channeling like Gladiator uh, in that Tuscan village, you know, with the road that goes all the way up to the plantation house at the top of the hill that's lined with trees. And, and he's got a long walk to get to his father's house on the property. But as he, as he enters the property, uh, he can see a figure down the road. And that figure is getting a little larger and larger, and he can tell that this figure is running toward him. And maybe he's wondering, am I okay here? What, uh, uh, am I gonna be in trouble? Uh, what, what's gonna happen? And uh, he, as he gets closer, he can see that it's his dad. Uh, okay, um, how's this gonna go? This is my dad, the one who I've cut ties with and been estranged with all this time. His dad's running, running, running. And he gets to him, and his dad just mauls him with a big hug, right? And kisses him on the cheek, on the neck. I mean, he's just showing him all the affection uh, as if he never severed relationship. And the son, um, maybe even, maybe manipulatively, says, Ah, oh, Father, I've sinned. I, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned, um, against heaven. And I, I could, would you just take me back? Notice that he calls him Father, though. Um, he's still trying to reinstate himself as, as the son. I'm still your son, right? Uh, and the father's like, no, no mind, you know, no, no, never mind any of that. Uh, you're, you're my son. Uh, uh, servants, workers, come here. Uh, let's, let's get this guy clothed up. Let's get some good shoes on his feet. Let's get him the family ring. Um, we, we have to celebrate. Would you go and find that grain-fed calf that we've been fattening up? That's our special calf. And let's slaughter that and have the best steaks tonight. Let's party. Let's have a great time because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. So go, go and prepare the celebration. And so they have this grand party. Where is the older son? It doesn't occur to anybody to invite the older son to this party. He's out working in the field and they're in the house, having a celebration. Huh, who's lost in this party? Well, it's the, the older son. He runs into one of the, the servants out in the field, and he's like, what's the commotion? I hear music. I hear, I hear loud noises. What, what is going on? Well, your brother, uh, he came back, and turns out he wasted everything that your dad gave him. Uh, some of which was yours. Um, uh, and he is back in your dad's good graces. And they are, they're having a party. They're celebrating. Uh, and it, uh, it pisses the older son off. I'll just, let's go ahead and say that. That's the best word to say it. He's so angry. He is, um, he's incensed. He will not go into the party. Uh, and so, you know, I, I guess somehow the father finds out he's in party, enjoying the fellowship with his son. He finds out his older son is refusing not to come in. And so he has to go out to try to convince him 
to come into the house, to come be a part of the family, and uh, and tries to urge urge him, plead with him, son, come, you know, your your brother is home, like he's your brother, come on. An older brother is uh, incensed, you know. I I've been here the whole time, Dad, and and I I've worked like a slave, day and night, for you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And you haven't sacrificed so much as a goat for me. Now, maybe maybe we're tempted to be hard on the older brother, but I think there's some neglect going on. Like, he wasn't even invited to the party for his younger brother. Uh, he's left out in the in the field. And so his father's left there to try to Convince him to come back in. Well, well, son, but I mean, this is your, this is my, this is my son who was lost and is now found, who, who was dead and is now alive. We have to celebrate. And this is the point at which Jesus ends the story. Um, as if to say, as if to leave hanging, um, what does the older son do? Uh, does the son go into the party? Uh, will, will the conflict persist? Uh, will this fracture remain in their family? Uh, and that is the, that's what is normally called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means reckless. So it's not like a, I think we hear that word these days and we think, ooh, yeah, I'm prodigal. You know, that was, that was an insult. That was, that's a terrible, you don't want to be prodigal. You, that's, that's to be reckless and irresponsible and immature and, and selfish and self-centered. All the things that this younger son, and manipulative, all the things that this younger son was. Um, so I, I just want to talk a little bit about this story. Um, what caught your attention in this particular telling of this story? And my, I'll, I'll share my cards. My, my telling of this story is inspired by uh, Amy Jill Levine, who is a Jewish New Testament scholar. What a, like, uh, what a combo, a Jewish New Testament scholar. So she sees these stories through the lens of the Jewish culture and people in history. Um, and... Um, so I'm, I'm riffing on some of the ways that she's understanding this story. So I'm wondering, what, what caught your attention? And you Zoomers, if you, uh, if you have something you want to, uh, pipe up, leave a note in the chat bar, Ryan, if you could check the chat, leave a note in the chat bar, we'll make sure to get to your thoughts along the way as well. Ooh, and we have a nice little, look at this little, little mic here, I'm gonna turn on. With a wireless mic. It's about time, right, Ted? Well, <laughs> they inspired us. Thank you, Haley. What caught your attention in this particular telling uh, of the the story of the two sons? Um. Yeah, I kind of resonate with the older brother. Um, and it just just makes me think about like the offenders, the ones who are just kind of hmm, crappy, 
to other people and, you know, like thinking of themselves or not thinking of other people and, yeah, that, I don't know, sometimes redemption just kind of makes me mad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I feel that way too. I, I, I haven't been formed to to hear this story in that way, like to be frustrated with the younger son as much as I'm frustrated in Levine's telling. Like these are not, in a, you know, these are not uh, sinners and tax collectors who are ostracized or othered or traumatized. These are wealthy, uh, uh, power-aligned folks. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a different. It's a different kind of. Um, if if anybody's harming anybody, it's this class of people. Yeah, and that that makes the story feel different. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Anybody else? I'm not sure I understand what this is supposed to be. I think it's a. I think it's a. Don't lose me. I'm so small. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like the. It's interesting. the The younger brother in the story. There's there's not there doesn't seem to really be a story arc, um, mm. of like growth for this character. Mm. You see, you see the recklessness, and you see everything fall apart. And then his moment of clarity is just like, I can have it better at home. I'm going to go back home. Hmm. And we blow up the nervousness and what's that going to be like and what's that's going to happen. But we just kind of we add that to the story, yeah. trying to make sense of the character, trying to give some sort of development here. But you know, and then and there that the conversation never happens, right? It's your I mean he says his thing, I have sinned before God and before you and blah blah blah. But like there there wasn't any of like, man, I, I don't know what happened or this I'm really sorry that I did this or yeah, it's a hard life out there and I've learned all of these things from this or I didn't know how good I had it or like some of that's kind of implied but instead it's just there, there, there's none of that, and and you're right. Like with the older brother, there, there's no scenes with the older brother and the younger brother together. Mm-hmm. Also, right? Like, so we don't know what that conversation was like. Um, was you know, were, were there apologies, or was, was there growth, or was there anything? And I think that that's what feels frustrating about this is this is a redemption story, and it is this, you know. Here's this forgiveness, and we're going to come back and welcome back to the party. And we are so, so, so glad that you're back. And there is no demand or request or statement whatsoever given to, you're not going to do this again to us now, are you? you you're not going to make the same mistake again. Or you have, you have repented, right? Like, that word's not in this story, which is, I don't know, that's part of what's just like, we're just supposed to be okay with that. And, hmm. yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, we, we have to zoom out from this particular story to get some sense of what what Luke is trying to do with it. Because mm-hmm. um, one thing that's that's cut out of our lectionary text is the, the story of the lost coin mm-hmm. and the story of the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. And the, the refrains... 
you know, so this is a group of three stories. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's telling, like, similar story, similar story, similar story. Nope, it's different. Uh, it's like, whoop, trick, gotcha, gotcha, yeah, yeah. But the, the way that those first two stories end is to talk about how wonderful it is when, when a sinner repents and turns to God. And that that's, the angels rejoice. So the frame, Luke's frame for us is redemption, like you're saying. Um, but we do, we miss the texture of the, like the challenge, um, Jesus' challenge to, uh, such sinners, the way that he challenged the rich young ruler to sell his stuff and give it to the poor, or the way that he challenged Zacchaeus to, uh, make amends with all the people he'd swindled, you know, a, a powerful, you know, tax collector. But that's not, that's not in the story. And I wonder if part of it is because, um, I mean, Jesus is scandalous to share table. Think about the people. If this is true about this class of people, this is the people he's sharing table with. Powerful folks who neglect the poor and who are aligned with empire. And that is what is scandalous to the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus is saying they can be a part of it too. Uh, and, and there is a seat for the table at them, for them. Uh, that's hard for me to hear. Ooh. Yeah, Sarah, sorry. I got, I got, no, I got no, you can add on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any great, like, uh, I just, it was just a couple of little things. I, I, it was interesting you pointing out the, that the father divided his property between them. Mm. That was something I hadn't thought about before about, uh, what does that kind of, like, was that something as he, as Jesus saying that to, to the tax collectors and the Pharisees and going, wait, what, wait, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of what, what did that add to it? And then just the idea that this is called the prodigal son, but that's not, like, that word doesn't, like, if we're in, like, where right. that, 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 you know, we've kind of framed the story in that way and have lost all meaning as to what prodigal means. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so I just thought that was interesting. That's right. The revised standard, the closest we get to that prodigal or re- reckless is like the, the sentence where it says he goes to the foreign land and he squanders his wealth with dissolute living. You know, <laughs> dissolute. Okay, that's not a word we ever use. But but it the prodigal son to describe the story also like the 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 story extends well beyond the experience with the younger son. Like the well, title of the yeah. story is the older brother. Yeah, the NRSV does like the title is parable of the prodigal and his brother. Ah, uh, gotcha. So they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they were like, oh no, we've, we've right. this. <laughs> and his brother. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Oh, yeah. And the person. Oh, thanks, Ted. I mean, some of this stuff reminds me of the Dungan family and how they played favorites. And uh, Yeah. But I just kind of wonder after the prodigal son returned, if he got more inheritance money after that. He already got more than his fair share. Yeah. So I just kind of wonder how it all ended up. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... A, that's at least to the extent that uh, he's being treated to um, all of the, uh, you know, the, the grain-fed, fatted calf... 
and new clothing and the family ring and all of that, like to the, even to the extent that they're throwing a party on him uh, for him, he's being cut in to the the father's wealth and provision that has not yet been given to the older son because, well, the older son is faithful to the father and is not going to take his inheritance until he dies. Yeah. But it, that's certainly probably part of what seems unfair. And it's part of the reason probably that the father, and I left this out in my telling, but the father says to the older son, everything I have is yours, if that's what you're concerned about. Like, all that's left is yours. Um, which is, maybe that's hard for the elder brother to believe, given that he's just given his best stakes to throw a party for the younger son who's come back. I, another thing I like about what you're saying is this story is about like family systems and dynamics as much as anything. Like, like it is, it is a, uh, Jesus is imagining Israel as a family. Uh, the, the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jewish tax collectors and 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 sinners and like this dysfunctional family. How how do we all get along and come together in this dysfunctional family that is the Hebrew people, the Jewish people? Do you need this, Ryan? Uh, no, okay, Val. Can you guys hear me? Yes, awesome. Um, I uh, listening to what Ted was talking about. How like in the story we don't get any like there is no sense of like the younger son being like I totally screwed up. I'm never gonna do this again. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And like I too, I've I've often resonated with the older brother, like even growing up in that it's really frustrating being like this doesn't seem fair. And also this person doesn't even like, I don't know that they're sorry. I don't know that they care about what they did and feeling that frustration, but then also sitting in this tension of like, uh, yeah, forgiveness is really tricky. And I think forgiveness is more about the person giving it than actually the person receiving it. Right. Like forgiveness isn't necessarily given just because someone is sorry, Forgiveness is more about, I don't know, the like healing for the person that's giving it, which is also like super tricky, right? It's like, I'm not trying to like condone like poor behavior or abusive behavior or anything like that. But I think like, man, it's such a tricky thing to sit with. And like you were saying, Charles, like sometimes it's like when, when Jesus is saying like, there's a seat at the table for those like in the empire too, it's like, Ooh, that's man, that's hard to sit with. And I, I think that's what makes forgiveness so tricky and so scandalous. Um, So, um, my, my next question or inquiry is, how does, how does our reading of the story change if we don't identify the Father in this story as God? And I, my caveat here is, 
we have a rich tradition in our Christian history of reading God as the Father in this story. And I, I don't want to say that's not a legitimate reading. I, I, I feel like we can hold multiple readings. That's the beauty of these stories, right? Is they're multivalent. Like they can have multiple readings that intersect with us and challenge us. But I think it's a it's a fascinating like mental exercise to try to imagine um, what if one reading what how does it change how we look at this story if the father in this story is not necessarily God? Yeah, I, I like that question because I, I think I think a lot of times you you put the big characters in place and then you go ahead and, and assign the attributes to those characters before you read the story. So it's like the Father is God. So, the, so obviously, whatever He's doing is wise and magnanimous and right and perfect. Uh-huh. Now let's read the story, <laughs> right? But like, you take that element away, and you're like, this guy's a fool. Hmm. I mean, he got swindled. Yeah, he gave away all of this stuff, and then just maybe made a little codependent. Yeah, right. And then he shows back up, and it's just like we're going to pretend like nothing happened. We're not going to talk about this. Mm. We're just going to go right back to where we were. You're going to get taken again, old man. Mm. Right? That's like if this were just a if this were just a story without without any of the morality overtones about about this, without the built-in lesson about redemption. That's that's the first thing. That's what it looks like on the surface. Mm. Which that brings up a lot of interesting questions about like the the teaching story and 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 the difference between how God thinks about things and how we think about things. Yep. Thank you, Ted. Mm-hmm. Ryan Kaiser? Val. Gary? Did, oh, Val has a thought? Okay, yeah, Val. Hi, and then I think Roger may have also had his hand up, too. Um, I love that you asked this question, Charles, because when you were originally telling this story, I was kind of thinking about um, the Father not being God and thinking about um, like thinking about the father and the older brother and this idea of forgiveness, like the older brother does not at what we can learn from what we know in the story is the older brother doesn't seem like he wants to give forgiveness. And he seems frustrated that his brother doesn't seem to be repentant about his actions or seem to care about the rest of the family. And then the father extends forgiveness, but it's just like, I don't know. I sort of have like, like, especially picturing him as like a parent figure. So not God, but that just as an actual parent having a child, like of him being like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't care that he messed up. I just, I just love him. And I'm just glad my son is here. And I'm just, I'm happy about that. And it kind of reminded me of uh, Ben told this story in one of his sermons years ago. Um, and Jen, I know you're there. It was about someone that you guys knew at your old church. I'm probably mixing the details up, but like her son was homeless. I think maybe he was addicted to drugs and she would always like go out to this area where even the police wouldn't go to go like try and find her son to like take care of him. And he was like so rude to her and like mad and would like say mean things to her and like run away from her. But she just like kept going out there. Cause she was like, well, it's my son. I love him. And that's kind of the image that I get when I think about, and it, I relate more to it when I, when the father in the story is not God, right? Cause like when the father in the story is God, it's like, oh, well, he's God. Of course he's going to forgive him. That's what he does. 
Okay, can y'all hear me? Or no? Hello? Oh, sorry. Shoot. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, good. Just checking. Um, I have a, just a bit of a different perspective because I, I happen to I happen to be a younger brother. <laughs> Call me biased. Uh, just a different perspective of looking at this story, hearing this story. Um, I've heard this story a lot. Uh, I've always placed myself as the younger brother, and you know, called that. Well, you're just a younger brother, but from those eyes, this is a story of uh, unconditional love. And if you want to, you know, place God as the father, yes. If you want to place someone else as the father, then it's like, dang, that's an extremely patient individual. (laughs) A patient and loving individual who's exhibiting things that aren't necessarily so innately human. (laughs) Um, So that's just a, a little different spin on that. Anyway, that's all I have. Yeah, thank you for that perspective, Andrew. That's great. Uh, so what, uh, in, in the same vein of kind of, um, holding, holding, identifying, you know, holding back, ident- not identifying the Father in this story with God, where is God in this story? What, what is God doing in that version of the story where God is not the Father? Uh, I want to think that he's with the older brother uh, saying, yeah, it doesn't feel fair, does it? Mm. I know. It's really hard. And being with the the father saying, yeah, I know. It was so painful that he left. But I'm so glad he's back, you know, Mm. because I know you love him. You know, and he's with the younger son. He's like, I know... You know, I know you abandoned your family, and, you know, I know that probably feels really hard. Um, but maybe just just try and go back, because, you know, I think it's going to work out. Uh, Jen, as you're saying this, I can't help but to wonder. And I'm, uh, I'm riffing off of a... a, 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 a one preacher... One preacher's perspective on Jesus' water and the wine story, uh, water to wine story. What, what if God is the help in this story, as it were? The slaves, the employees, the ones who are facilitating, um, both the celebration for the older son and the inclusion, uh, the inclusion of the older son um, into connection and relationship with God. I mean, if God works at the margins, mm-hmm. that's at least one margin in this story, that you have the um, those who are outside of the family, those who are servants to the family, uh, are the ones who are helping to facilitate this coming together that the story seems to be building toward. Almost like a witness and walking alongside everybody. Right? Like they're, they're Coming they're alongside. What? There's a, that like, I don't know that. Yeah, that's like the Holy Spirit or something, isn't it? Isn't that like one of the words for the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Betsy. Yes, my name is Betsy. For those of you who haven't 
um, who I haven't met. Um, I have been doing some of this work independently of decoupling the word father from God. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that you asked that question. And so one of the ways that I'm doing that is just like in my brain replacing the word God with other things that I think are associated with the divine. So, mm-hmm. um, in this story, where is their love? Where is their light? Where is their beauty? Where is their joy? Um, I also, just as Jen was talking, I wondered about, you know, where is the mother? You know, is God? Um, and so looking to the story for, you know, those places that I am looking for the divine and those words that I'm just using in my own faith experience right now to replace God mm-hmm. um, or Father. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a question that I'm going to think on for the rest of the afternoon is like in this story, where is their light? Where is their love? Where is their beauty? Um, where is their mother? Where is their... And yeah. so just that question kind of opens up the story to be looking for the divine in yeah. places that I wasn't taught to look for the divine in yep. this story. So I appreciate that question. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned where's the mother. Uh, Amy Levine, one of her, we were talking about titles for this story. One of her titles for this story is The Absent Mother, (laughs) which I thought was brilliant. Where is the mother in this story? The Absent Mother. How about that? I love it. Any other thoughts? Well, I think part of part of what I feel this story doing, and this is what part of what's brilliant about Jesus, I think, um, of the so many things that are, is is just that we we don't have to resolve all of these tensions that we feel about the players in the story. Um, it is a humongous mess, and the way that this mirrors and reflects the dynamics of people groups in our own contemporary setting with whom we have difficulty and feel polarized from. Um, this story doesn't resolve those tensions. But, it, I mean, it, in, in some ways it, it, uh, it doesn't allow us just to remain at the poles either. Like the, the movement of this story is everyone coming around the table together. That's the the impetus for Jesus telling this story, was trouble seeing that there's room for everybody at the table. And and uh, I mean that is what God is doing in the world, is trying to find a way for everyone to have a seat at the table. And all of the mess and the tensions that that is bringing, uh, we hold all of those. And I don't know how to resolve all of those, but I, I feel the... Uh, Betsy, like you're saying, the, the light and the love and the compassion and reconciliation, all the things that are about God, that's kind of the, the energy of this story. So can we, can we pursue that together? Can we enter into that? Can we want that for ourselves too? Can we let that posture and mentality and, and impulse of the Spirit affect the way we see our own tables this week? In our neighborhoods, in our interactions on the social medias, and so on and so forth. Uh, 